I'm Andy Clark, mom and wife of an officer. I've been reversing and preventing burnout in first responders since 2018. Welcome to the 911 Shift Ready podcast, where we will dive into sleep, anger, energy, hypervigilance, anxiety, and other burnout symptoms in order to arm you with the knowledge, understanding, and tools beyond exercise and nutrition to be 911 Shift Ready so you can thrive not only for the remainder of your career, but also at home in your family life, and then bring those tools back to your service so the compound effect can take place and together we can decrease burnout in the 911 lifestyle community. Welcome to episode 15 of the 911 Shift Ready podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I would like to acknowledge that this podcast will be airing on September 11th. We would like to pay our respects to give our thanks and our support to anybody who this particular date has significance to them. So thank you. And we certainly support you. Absolutely. I definitely remember exactly where I was on September 11th. All right. So diving into today's episode, this is my husband for any of you that are actually watching this on YouTube. He is the big supporter behind the scenes. Today we are going to do a different episode. We're going to do an interview together where we are asking each other some tough questions as being a first responder couple, family, and both of us working in the world with first responders. So the first question that we came up with. So we actually just wrote a bunch of questions on a piece of paper. So kind of here it is. So. We're just going to fly by the seat of our pants on this one. Yeah. So let's talk about our conversation. When I actually first thought about working with first responders, what did that mean for our family safety, for the bubble that we had built around our family, and actually for both of us as well being immersed now in a 911 life, both of us. So. I'll let you start. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah. I mean, I've been an officer for about eight years. And I know in that time, you know, even before we had kids, we always had this bubble that we would try to protect ourselves in terms of, I wouldn't really tell many people about what I did. And I know most of you out there are kind of in the same situation where, you know what, you just kind of keep to yourself or not really share what you do, not because you're afraid of other people's opinions, but everybody seems to have an opinion about you know, this particular profession, you know, any of the 911 services. So it's because people see them on an everyday basis, hear the sirens, they can relate to it somehow and seem to have something to say about 911 responders. So I know that we always had this kind of bubble that we didn't really say much about what we did. In fact, even, you know, my neighbor until he actually moved, didn't know what I did. And, you know, it was something that we just really just kept to ourselves, And it was for many reasons, some of us, and, and you can relate as some of us, just personal safety. It's not something that we, you know, really want to share about what we do as a profession, you know, for protection of ourselves and our families. So that was certainly one thing. And the other part of it was sometimes just to kind of turn things off. So, you know, it's where I would go to work. And then at some point, I'd like to be able to kind of switch gears and become, you know, from officer of the day, so to speak. and then. When I'm off, then, you know, I can often switch to family guy, so to speak. Yeah. And so 
it was a big decision because me going into this, I needed to be on social media. And then I actually was asked to be on national TV on the news channel that we both did an interview. You had to get it cleared by your service. So really, that was a huge step. Because I think you were barely six months into to starting things. And, you know, we were asked to speak on national television live, not just, you know, national television recording. It was something that was live. So yeah. it was quite the experience or, you know, of a, almost like a, a, a real coming out in, into the world on this. So that was quite an experience. It was. And the thing is, is that did mean something to our family safety. I mean, we, we don't even have our cars registered to our house. Everything's registered to the police station. We're in a large city. So my husband's never worked in our areas, never come to and from in your uniform. Odd time you forgot something and I have to meet you like down the alley back in the street and carry it to you so that nobody sees you in a uniform or anything if you're even in the area. So we did make a decision then that if I was able to save a life. I'm going to cry. If I was able to save a life by doing this, then it was worth us lifting that bubble and the risk to our family safety. And to you know, share the good things that you know, can be learned to the world of uh, 911 responders, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Which, speaking about all of the bubble... When Black Lives Matters happened, there was a lot of hate. And we had neighbors posting some horrific things. And then 30 minutes later, walking by us on the streets going, hey, how you doing? As if not connecting, because by then they did know that you were an officer. They did know that I worked with officers. Not connecting any of that. I was shunned by, I was in a lot of mom entrepreneur groups where we're all supposed to help each other and support one another. And they did support me in working with first responders until Black Lives Matters happened. People that I was looking for some help to come on board with me. And they're like, oh, I'll help post your jobs. I'll do this for you. I can help you with this. I can get the word out about that. And as soon as Black Lives Matters happened, they're like, nope, won't help you. I'm taking this down. And they pretty much shunned me. And I never, ever experienced that before. And, and this, this was in pretty much just a couple of months or a month or so after real COVID shutdowns. So, yes. you know, people were locked up in their homes with nothing to do or they weren't allowed to do, you know, didn't feel like they were allowed to do anything. And they had a lot of time to pay attention to social media. They did. Absolutely. And then I was also, because I'm so emotional in this world, And that's the interesting thing, too, is I sometimes see a lot more what's going on because you know what's going on in your service and in this area, per se. But I'm hearing everything in the States. I'm hearing all of Canada. I'm hearing, like, the UK. I'm hearing of officers just going to fake calls and they knock on the door and they're shot or just the homicides of officers was huge. And I was struggling. I was really struggling. And I remember the day when it was actually, it was the day that one of our neighbors posted something horrific, in my opinion. 
And I looked at you and I said, why are you not bothered by that? Said, why is not all this hate affecting you like it's affecting me? Do you remember what you said? It was probably something simple like, I'm just used to it. Yeah. And it's a really bad thing to say, but I know a lot of us can agree that this is not stuff that is normally seen by civilians out there in the world, but it's something that we deal with, you know, in law enforcement especially, that we see from people is the dislike or the hatred or, you know, just people that just don't like the uniform. I remember what you said. You said, yes, exactly what you did just say. But then when I asked, what do you mean? You added to that saying that since I started on this job, nobody wants me at a call because it's rare that I'm at a call where somebody wants me there. He goes, I get spit on. I get disrespected. People want to hit me, fight me. He's like, that has been the same since day one on the job. And you said, how is this any different? Right. And I mean, there's people out there just dying to do something to you or get you into trouble or find ways to you know, take us down. Yeah. And that's how it feels a lot. And I knew that, but I didn't understand what that was like until it happened to me. I think that that was a huge pivotal change for me. And I really tried to deal with it for a while. And it got to the point where I was struggling a lot with the hate, with wondering, am I the right person to do this? There was also other stuff happening as well, where I was getting hate because of helping responders and I was getting hate from inside as well because what I do is work on physical symptoms of stress. I don't work on the therapy that people, instead of getting curious and instead of finding out what it is that I do and asking what I do, instead, they just totally bad-mouthed me or even flat out to my face, things that had been said to me hit me hard that I was wondering, it took me, there was a while where I was wondering, I actually paused the business. That was October of 21 that I paused the business. I think it was in October in 2021. I actually paused the business because of the hate, because of the backlash on either side. I needed to figure out a lot of my own shit. I had struggles as well from growing up about my worth because of how I had been talked down to and dealt with a lot in my own personal life that I didn't realize that when the hate was hitting me, that that was coming back from my childhood. So I had to actually stop and take the time to really figure out how can I handle doing this while I'm learning about Like, so I hear so much about the traumas that happen, even though I'm not the mental side, I'm not the PTSD side, I hear it. And the responders, they open up to me about a lot of this. And there is a link to a lot of this to physical symptoms. So when I'm asking them about their sleep and I'm asking them about their guts and I'm asking them about moods and all of this, and then I ask them what happened six months before that, what happened a year before that, quite often 
there is a trauma or there is something that happened frequently. And I hear so many of them. Whereas for you, you know, your traumas and there hasn't been as many calls. Like I was getting multiples per week and you don't get a trauma every week. Right. So I was getting hit with a lot without, I'm not therapy. And I had to learn then skills myself on, okay, how can I work with this and use this and continue to be strong myself for this? How can I keep hearing about all of these shootings and line of duty deaths and suicides that are astronomical in number and still be okay with my husband going out on the job every day? Like, how can I be okay with that? So I had to work through that. Because it's just a quick term that I've learned. It's something they call vicarious trauma, which is where somebody takes in and they listen to other people's traumas or events and they absorb it themselves and it does have an effect on them. Yeah. And you get like the compassion fatigue, the moral injury, all of these things that I've learned about because I didn't know the mental side when I came into this. Everything that I do is physical. But the link between the two, which I see why some people were upset when I'm saying certain things about the physical, because those symptoms do arise as well from the mental. And both pieces are important. Both are very, very important. And so I had to learn how to communicate what I do in a way for people to understand what it is that I do and how it's different from the mental side, the therapy side, the PTSD side, it's separate from that. I had to get my own shit together and I had to get the tools in order to be able to understand what I needed as a coach in order to be able to help you through everything that you have experienced and you have gone through and understand how to physically get your body strong from everything that has happened on the job. One of the questions that I had, a different part of the personal, especially in the last few years in working through some of this, like how do you feel like you have evolved or how have you grown personally and in your business, especially through working with first responders? Okay. I don't even know where to start. Like in the beginning, a lot of things came really fast. You know, the, the national TV live appearance. Or your speaking gigs, you know, for different services. And how do you feel like you've grown from that point then to where you are now and where you're headed? Yeah. I remember early on, I was asked to speak at a national conference with higher ups. I'm not going to say anymore because it was completely confidential. Like I had to go through so many, so much paperwork just to even get there to get into the building and all of that. This was with like high ups nationally and to speak. I was so friggin' intimidated. I remember I was, I practiced for months on what I was going to say, everything. And when I got there, it was a three-day conference with higher ups, with specialized people from all over the world. We're there a lot from Europe, North America. It was fascinating. And I got to sit in on some phenomenal speakers speaking. And I really got to see and hear more. Like the more conferences that I actually have been able to speak at, the more I'm able to get more of an inside view too as to what you do. Because they'll have 
specialized projects. Somebody will come and sometimes speak about a specialized project they were on. The more responders that I meet and I see and I talk to, I learn more about how many different specializations there are in all different services and all different kinds of policing. And I was so intimidated then with the level of seniority as to who I was speaking to. And I came out of there going, oh my God, these are just like the other guys in my program. They're struggling with their sleep. They've got brain fog. Their guts are messes. They've got families. They've got kids. They're people. They're human beings. And I have stopped looking at rank now. And I look at them more as to like, well, how many years have you been on service? Because your stress system does different things at different stages, different years on service. And the more that they are in service, the longer I realize their bodies are more stressed. They're probably struggling more than many that are, you know, haven't been in service that long. So I don't go in as intimidated anymore. They're people, they have their specializations. Every time I'm at a different conference or listening to any of them in my program and speaking about their specialties, they're so good at what they do and so good at their specialties. And then I have to take that step back and think, well, so am I, you know, I live, sleep, eat, and breathe. Like literally <laughs> stress, stress management system, managing our stress management systems. It's what I do, which I got into because of our son. Like it is a big part of our life. That's how and why I got into this. So understanding that there is a human behind whatever specialty, whatever rank they are, there is a human, I'm a human, and we all have our own specialties and that's okay. I will say too, that when I was speaking before too, I was more talking at them, whereas now I've learned a lot more of how to connect more and to be able, I've worked hard. I've done so many courses. I'm constantly learning and doing courses on how to connect, how to break down walls. How can I be better? I'm constantly taking, you can attest. (laughs) I'm always taking courses. I'm always learning how to break down walls. How can I connect? How can I communicate better? So yeah, my speaking now, I look at even like a year ago, like it's always changing because I'm always learning, but I think it's just improved so much more, which interestingly, because I've worked so hard on that, it's helped my communication for us as a relationship. It's helped our communication with the kids. It's helped in, like, it's fascinating when I hear my kids now breaking out in certain language patterns in order to be able to get somebody to open up or get somebody to do something that they want to do with that person feeling like they're in control, hostage negotiation skill. It's fascinating when I hear our kids using those now, but it really has changed the way that I now communicate with other people as well. I've gotten so much better at communicating and I've dealt with a lot of the shit from my past and realized that we all have shit. I think the one thing as well is we all have a story. And I used to, this is like before I learned this really fast and working with first responders is that everybody has a story and I don't judge anybody. Anybody 
like any parents doing anything, we don't never know their history. We don't know the child's history. We don't know anything involved in any of that, that I have stopped making up any stories about what's truly going on with somebody. Instead, now I get curious and I ask questions. You ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. I do. <laughs> yes, okay. absolutely. Like that kind of actually covers how some of your philosophy about being a police wife or a family has kind of evolved from when I first applied for the job to now. So I think you spoke a lot to that and, and how things have changed to that point and how I guess we've grown. It was you naive. Know, I mean, I wrote down a quick point that neither of us had any exposure to a police or a law enforcement family. So it's not something where we had the opportunity to see the parents, cousins, uncles, aunts, anything like that, really from the 911 world and to see what their lifestyle was really truly like. Uh, I mean, when I applied, I was just looking for a job. I was looking for a full-time job. I've been working like two or three different jobs all at once, but none of them were really stuck. So first and foremost, and some of you out there have been on for a short time. Some of you have been on for a long time, but some of you guys have been on for a long time, probably started at 18, 19 years old, and you were just looking for a job and here it came and the opportunity was there. So for me, I was just looking for a job and I guess I said enough of the right things to get the job. Well, you also wanted <laughs> to help people. Yes. But absolutely. thing, though, is that we were naive about what the job entails. Yes. Like when you started, I was like, whoa, he gets to go to like police college for three months. And, you know, there's this exciting, naive yeah. thing. Uh, absolutely. And then when we got into the shift work and stuff, I'd worked shift works in the past myself. I'm never in the box with all of that stuff. So we were pretty good about, I think, working with that is it was more dealing with family that was tough too and holidays like I do recall as well Christmas once where one family member I sent them an email saying these are the weekends I think you had two out of every five weekends off so I gave them the two out of the five weekends off that he had in December and I said these are the weekends we've got off this is what we have free what works for you and they blasted me blasted me saying like I was putting them last and I wasn't respecting the holidays and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, holy shit, he only has two out of five weekends off. I gave you his only time that we have off. Like, so it's been an adjustment for family in order to be able to work around our schedules with holidays and all of those things that I think has been pretty tough. And then having kids and working around your schedule, that was definitely interesting. But when I got into working with first responders, I thought I knew what you did. I knew the shifts. I knew like the overtime. I knew I always had to have a plan B. But once I really got into the world, once I started going to conferences where I was asked to speak and listening to all of the other stuff that goes on, once I was listening to the responders and explaining to me what's going on and happening in their shifts and all that, because you're pretty quiet in everything. You're pretty quiet. I talk you listen <laughs> a lot. We've been working in our marriage of me listening better and you talking more. So I am learning more about what you do on the job now. But at the beginning, I didn't know what you did because you were very quiet about it. And I believe as well that now that I do what I do too, we can have more conversations because I'm even more aware of what's happening. I'm aware of what happens in services. 
all over North America and the UK. I'm aware of what's happening in like with the public, with a lot of the changes in pol- like all kinds of stuff where training is so different in different services, like even police training in different services, rural city, especially in the States is very different from Canada, all the structures, all of those things. So I'm able to speak a lot more of that with you. And I was very, very, very naive as a wife. I actually didn't know about all of the departments, all of the different things that do go on in policing. And that's where too, like neighbors, they just think you're on the streets going to calls. They don't really understand all the deep stuff that really does happen behind the scenes that you guys do. All right. So question for you, what's it like to live with me (laughs) when like, from when we were first married to now, as far as the health perspective goes, or me with like stress with me being like, well, I guess it used to be me being stressed and burnt out to learning about it, to teaching it. The health side, I certainly was not the healthiest habits. When we first met, I mean, I call was, it the dark side. Kind of, yeah. But <laughs> like, I mean, I was relatively like active and thought I was healthy. And I mean, I've been lucky that I didn't have any major health concerns or anything like that. So, on an appearance level, a surface level, I seem like a healthy person. But as I started working shift work, I realized what a toll it took. And this is before I even had kids and just trying to sort things out uh, as an individual, just to figure out what ends up sometimes. And you start the job and you got full of vim and vigor and all that and your energy. But then after I started, I went to a unit that basically day after day, you would talk to gangbangers and basically harass the bad guys on a day-to-day basis. And that became exhausting. Trying to do that for a long period of time and try to keep up healthy habits wasn't exactly the best. I know my eating wasn't the best. It was part of the upbringing. It just ate all kinds of junk. And that's I mean, you know, I don't have a halo above my head, but just in being with you and through your influence, it's been reduced like huge, huge. You used to do fast food pretty much every single day. Maybe not every single day, but I would say a few times a week. And that's just, I mean, some of that was just being like a single guy, you know, you're younger and anything you eat may not have that effect on you. But yeah, I was eating a lot of crap, drinking a lot of sodas and sugary drinks and things like that. But just over time, and it wasn't an overnight thing, but just over time, just small, healthier habits is the huge influence that you've had. And I've never felt guilty or anything. If I fell off the track, so to speak, I would just you know, get back on. And because I learned it over time and it wasn't an overnight thing, it was easy to just get back on track because it's something I've done for a period of time to practice. So if I'm hearing this correct, <laughs> I didn't push you into it really fast. You got to come into it on your own. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I didn't know how you were going to answer this question. I didn't know because, no. I mean, it's been kind of like a push-pull. Like, I know there's been times in our relationship where I'm like, oh, my God, we're eating too unhealthy. I can't do this. And we would have to. I kept saying we'd go back to the dark side and the light side. And it was a big balance when we got together to figure out how to Right. balance our eating it's, styles it's, together it's a lighter shade of gray side now it is it's a lighter shade of gray and that's the thing we're not perfect in how we eat and how we do things but I do remember like just going back to that even before we had kids 
when we would visit my parents, my mom would always complain about how much you slept. Cause you were always like you were, I know like when I'm working with responders, there's some that like four to six hours, it's all they can sleep or like forever to get to sleep, always waking up in their sleep. You would fall asleep fast, but like 12, 15 hours later, if I didn't wake you up, you pretty much didn't get up and you took forever to actually like wake up. I would wake you up and it'd be like an hour before I'd see you downstairs. And that's changed. Yeah. Huge. I mean, that's one of the things I can't. I didn't know that. You didn't know that my mom complained about it all the yeah, time? You must have been sleeping. You must have been sleeping. <laughs> that's right. But that was it. I'd be like, mom, he works shifts. Like she didn't get his life, but also that's when we were working more and learning more of the things. I was like, okay, I know all this stuff. How can I start adopting it for your shifts? How can I start getting it to help you? And it's once I started getting into like getting myself out of burnout. And then we started adapting it to it that you started only needing eight hours of sleep. Yeah. I mean, now you wake up, you're downstairs eight in the morning, ready to go, you know, like on a day off, like there's sometimes two, you're even like seven o'clock or my time is until seven. My kids are not allowed downstairs until seven. And sometimes he comes down before seven now. I'm like, this is my time. I'm like, this is my only space where it's me in the house. <laughs> and I'm almost upset if he's actually up early. Invading your time. He's invading my time. <laughs> yeah. But that's changed huge. You used yeah. to sleep tons, tons, yeah. and never, ever, ever feel like you recovered. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the trucker alley. Well, let's talk about this year. Let's talk about, I don't know, the last three years. So the trucker rally, you did 33 days straight. I did. I call it 33 and 33 because I did 33 days in a row and my longest shift was 33 hours out of that. I did a 26 and a bunch of 18s along the way. So it was long. And I think the longest part was because we didn't know if there was an end to it. Yeah. So that was the hardest part of knowing that. And this was just coming off of something else we were doing out of town. But in what we were doing, this is before the start of the busy time of my particular job function for the year. So this was not something that we necessarily planned for, but it's something that we had to put together really quickly and you know get operational. So there was a lot of stress in putting together from a planning phase. And also once we were actually operational in motion, there was a lot of long, long hours. And again, it was something that we didn't know what it just became day after day after day, a bunch of unknowns and being ready to go. And some of you will know this, you spend a lot of time getting ready to get ready. And that's a lot of time stress. It's not necessarily mental focus on it, but when it eats a lot of your time and sometimes you just sit watching the clock and hoping for the day to finish or somebody else to take over and we're running 24 hours a day and it was long. And this is something where I certainly had not prepared for up to this point or up to that point in my policing career because I was used to working a set amount of days and then having a set amount of days off. So I was in a position where I'll okay, I know these, I'm going to have these days off as long as I can get to day number seven or day number eight, as long as I can get through to that. Yeah. Whereas I had no idea what was happening. And 
On top of that, there were other things that were starting to creep up closer in the calendar where I knew I've got to get some other things started for planned things that I needed to get to. And so losing that time to prep for some of these projects was quite stressful. And to add to that too, the boys weren't seeing you because of the hours you were working. You were sleeping while they were either sleeping and you were gone or you were sleeping while they were at school and they didn't see you for two, three weeks. It was kind of one of those lesser of two evils where I picked to work nights so I could at least see them at some point. Yeah. And that's the because they were crying. The boys were crying because they hadn't seen, they hadn't even seen his face in person for like three weeks. And uh, it was so hard putting them to bed and they would just cry. And so you switched, you were able to switch to a night shift right. schedule so you could come home early and maybe see them if they were awake, go to bed and be awake for a couple of hours once they got out of school. Right before you had to go back in on shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we did that. But how about your body? How did you manage? Because you did go from that trucker rally into two months. It wasn't two months, but it was a quick turnaround to start dealing with sports playoffs. So hockey and basketball. Two of our teams made the playoffs. I've never, ever, ever in my entire life knowing you, had you ever wish our team to lose. You are such a sports fan. And he was like, the boys, we were all every day after the game would happen the next morning. They'd be like, did they lose? Did they lose? We're like, no, they won. They're like, oh, and then they're like, it got to the playoffs. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe they'll only make it one round that we just, we missed you so much and you missed us and playoffs, the amount of time that went into planning everything for every single playoff game was like astronomical on top of you having to be at every playoff game for crazy amounts of hours before and after the games. Yeah. So it just went from one large thing to the next. So how did you do it? Like, I guess the question is, had we not brought into our life the stuff that I teach? That'd be a mess. Because, again, that long of a stretch to work before I'd really even mentally prepared for the things I was supposed to do for the year. Just added so much, like the physical, the time of it. And it was just for so long and so early in the year that I would have been burnt out had I not implemented some basic things as part of your program. Like learning through and going through the program helped me to... Because you did go through my program. Like he went through my program. And that is kind of the thing is there's certain things that we have always adapted into our life and we've done and all of that. But there are things that I teach in the program that as a wife, it was best for you to probably learn from the program versus me teaching, I think, some of the things. Like when I'm teaching certain habits in order to really get to sleep, you need to choose which habits you want and all of that stuff. And our life is about being parents to our kids and having that time together as a couple that that's so limited that for me to stop and teach that you actually went through my program. No, I did. I did. And there was so many things that I could utilize and in different ways, different days that I could implement and use to get through like working, not just the total 33 days, but even like each day at a time trying to figure out because 
I could see, not just for myself, but somebody who's working like that kind of stretch. You weren't alone. No, <laughs> no I, it wasn't just me. And I know some of you out there are doing those stretches, whether you choose to do it on your own or what's put upon you to do it and quote unquote, not a choice to you. But had I not had some of the skills and the things that I could implement, I might be one of those who at the end of the 33 days might be one to say, you know what, I'm taking some stress leave. I'm out. Like I'm burnt out or I've had enough. And being so early in the year, that would have put all of my other things on ice. Mm -hmm. Just walking away and putting that additional pressure and stress on my coworkers to pick up the slack. And I'm certainly glad for that reason alone was enough to be thankful that I could implement and use some of the things to keep me going and not feel like I was dying. Yeah. You rarely had eight hours to sleep. You rarely, by the time you got home and you showered and ate and got yourself in a bed, you barely had eight hours sleep. And I mean, I was making a lot of meals. Normally I don't do the cooking. He does. So I was making the meals. I was like, doing as much as I could for you so that when you came home, if you had five hours to be in bed, you could try to sleep for five hours. Like I was trying as best as I could as well. But if you weren't implementing the right tools, that five hours, you wouldn't have been able to have a good quality sleep that got you into that deep, that healed your body and the REM that helped your brain to problem solve and all of that. So you were able to get in good sleeps because you would wake up from five hours feeling refreshed quite often near the end there were some times in there where you were tired but you were able to then be like okay what other tools do we need what has slipped how can I help what can we do we pulled out every tool then we had every tool going I think in order to get you through that and then get you through in the playoffs and then get you through to your next project where you just like the only reason we're able to record this is you're on vacation right now and you just got a break. Yeah. Right? Like this is your first break this year. We're in August right now. But yeah. It's been quite a year. It has been. And I mean COVID itself. I mean all the stuff you were doing for COVID and yeah. I mean I think that's had an effect on everybody. So not just me. So I mean just yeah. again this year alone has been quite a challenge yeah. for most people. But um, super thankful that we've got through to this point. I mean I know it's not done yet, but um, you know you think about it. You went into the trucker rally though, but you were refreshed when you went into the trucker rally. Before that, you had COVID. Like the two years, not that you had actual COVID. COVID was here for the two years before. And when you were working COVID, you were working some 15-hour days. I know at the start of COVID, Monday to Friday with your COVID logistics, all of that stuff that you were doing for that first year of COVID. And then weekends, because you work a different unit, sometimes a specialized unit, you had to go and do the duties that were called upon you for that specialized unit on weekends. So for COVID, you were seven days a week a lot. There was some long weeks, especially in the beginning, because yeah. I mean, everybody was just trying to figure out, you know, how to do things, how to modify things, how to keep everybody safe. And like, where are we going to get stuff? How are we going to get it? It's everybody. Whatever scale that, you know, you or your service had to adjust or adapt to new things, new procedures, new processes. 
but you work at one of the larger services in Canada. So it's a huge service to be able to do all the COVID stuff so for them. The larger the organization, the more that has to be done. And the more complaints from everybody so that you have to keep alternating yeah. and change things too. But there was like, you were getting two, three days off a month, I think, for the first year of COVID. It was, it was. Big. And you were not burnt out though before you went to the trucker rally. But had you not had those tools then, you probably would have been burnt out going into the trucker rally. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So uh, one of the other questions uh, I thought of is like, what do we do in our, I guess our well, current, but also along the way, what have we done to kind of teach and help our kids with some of the things that we've learned about stress systems and being in a police family? Well, for stress systems, that's our one son. So I was in burnout when I was pregnant with our second child. And I did not have the stress system resiliency or whatever you want to call it to support him. And he came out in full burnout. He has a lot of stress triggers. We've also found out, I mean, just a whole skew of things about him as well that make him such a phenomenal, amazing child, but also huge anxiety and, and very sensitive to things and stressors and stuff. So our life is all about understanding your stress system, understanding your stressors and living, eating, sleeping it. Like our kids, well, the one wears my aura ring at night. He tracks his deep in REM sleep. He does these little experiments to figure out what helps him get a better latency, which is the time to fall asleep. What things does he do before bed that helps him get a better deep or better REM or his HRV is stressed. He does all like, <laughs> we have these conversations and check our stats the next day. I don't know what, what kids this age are doing these things. It's phenomenal. Like it's really neat to see. It's certainly so many of the things that they're learning right now so far in such a long way. Certainly way more than I was brought up with, probably more than you were brought up with. Absolutely. And just, you know, understanding themselves and how to work with and regulate and take care of their own physical bodies way more than we were ever taught or experienced yeah. for ourselves. That's pretty cool. They're pretty cool kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating and seeing them and then listening to the choices that they make, as we said earlier too, yeah. the way that they speak now too, like the conversation styles is kind of funny, but then I guess from the policing side, it's been interesting because like we've always taught the kids that daddy helps people. Daddy helps people that are struggling. Daddy helps people that may have gotten into trouble. Daddy's always helping people to keep them safe and to help them. That's how we've always explained your job. But then like, we'll have conversations like, well, last summer, I know my neighbors were really worrying about COVID and we're having a conversation at our dinner table about you maybe having to go to a dump to go search for pieces of a body that you needed as evidence for a murder case. And we're talking about the logistics. We're talking about how cool our dump system is, how they know exactly where our garbage goes in our dump and then where that pile goes in the dump where they brought it to so that they knew exactly where in the pile to even start looking based on the dumpster or something or wherever it had been dumped. Like, right. It was fascinating. So we're having these conversations. A lot different conversations than most families and their kids have about garbage. Than, than where the end point is just getting it to the garbage can and right. taking it out to the street. 
but like, but we have conversations about how, you know, conversations with them about how there's all different types of people. People struggle for different reasons. And to understand that when people aren't helping themselves with their struggles, when people are to be cautious of certain people, we do word it though in a way of like, not that somebody is like good or bad or this or that, but that we always have to know our surroundings. We always have to be cautious because people weren't always taught to be safe. People weren't always taught to be nice to other people, stuff like that. And some people have had things happen to them in their lives and they don't know how to be good or to behave. And we need to just be aware of them in our surroundings and our society. Absolutely. And just for them to understand that, you know, again, they're not good or bad. There's just some people that need more help. Yeah. Right. Just to have different levels of help. And we do talk to them about alcohol and some of its effects. We do talk to them about mental disorders because these are real things that they see. Yeah. Well, we live well, in the city. I mean, they don't necessarily see them physically, but they're know, aware. They're aware. You can see. You walk down our streets and stuff. Like it's just we're in the city and it's everywhere. But sometimes we talk about what stories might be behind some of these people. As I talked to before, we never know someone's story. So that's where I get to them too. I'm like, look, this is somebody we should be cautious of because they may be on a drug or they may be in a mental health state right now that they're not aware of their actions. This might be why. And we talk about a couple of different reasons as to why that person might be the way that they are. So they're still cautious and aware, but they're not naive to that, but they also may understand why somebody would get to that point and how it can be to start getting them to understand more about the complexities of people and where they are. One thing though, is when you were doing, this is during COVID, you were doing so many hours and we hadn't seen you. We came and helped you at work one day set up. And so we were grabbing all the equipment and the boys were charging batteries of radios. It was, they loved it. And so somebody that one of your colleagues gave us a hat of your service, baseball hats, and our boys really wanted to wear them. And that was a big conversation between you and I, I think, on... And with them. And with them. We did have a huge conversation with them before we let them wear them in public because of all the hate. And so we prepared them with conversations if somebody said something negative to them helping them understand why somebody might say something negative, helping them understand how to have that conversation and dialogue with them with curiosity. And we prepared them. And then they've been wearing those hats for a few years now. And I don't think anybody has ever said anything negative to them. And that's been a huge learning lesson for me because of social media, because I am immersed in this world that Social media is actually where I get most of the hate. It's kind of interesting because our neighbors who know us are nice to us and like us to our face, but then they'll be saying things about officers on social media and they're not connecting those dots. So their impression of what police are is different than who we are as people. And that's fascinating that it was a real good lesson for me because before then I was thinking that everything that was happening on social media, all the hate, all of the stuff going on there was also happening in real world. And through the boys wearing those hats, 
I realized that I need to relax a little bit more in what I'm going to assume that people are thinking out in public about me, what I do, what you do. I also need to be like we were with the kids where it's like, they're allowed, they're entitled to the opinion. I can get curious and find out why if I want to and have the energy for that conversation, or I can just choose to go elsewhere and ignore them. And that has been huge because when you do have so much hate every day, when you are seeing it, when it is so in front of you all the time, it's easy. I fell into it to believe that everybody is thinking it and everybody is there that I was isolating myself from other people and having the boys wear those hats actually helped me open up my bubble a little bit more and be like, okay, not everybody's going to hate me. Not everybody is going to make assumptions about me and just let them actually get to know who I am first. And then if they find out that I work for responders and they're going to choose to not like me, then that's on them. That's their struggle, their issue, their story. So I think that you're asking what we teach our kids, but I think our kids have possibly taught us more than we may have taught them. Yeah, because what they do and in, in their actions are often more natural and they're less calculated than ours. And yeah. I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just sometimes we overthink things and you know, sometimes we can learn a lot from our kids or, or our pets about how simple things can be. Yeah. Our pets, you make us think. We just have a rescue cat. He's awesome. Which we're learning a lot. <laughs> we're learning a lot. He's come a long way in like two and a half months. Amazingly, you know, but a cat stresses. <laughs> it is. It's fascinating because we got a cat that fits in our family. He has anxiety, like our son, very cautious about things. His gut's a mess. I'm like sorting them all out. He's been having good poos lately. I'm like, yes, it's even working on a cat. (laughs) And this cat is so much calmer and more relaxed and a lot happier with us. And his anxiety is so gone down as well. I think this cat came into the right family. It's been interesting. All right. So in closing, one more question. Well, it's a twofold, but what would you tell somebody that's brand new coming into being a first responder? And as far as like being able to last their career, not burn out. I mean, you have been a coach officer. You see how excited these rookies are and all of that, which is so cool. What would you say then as well to a seasoned responder? So somebody 15, 30 years on the job that is just pushing through every day. Wow. Actually, the funny thing is, the message is probably very similar is to take care of yourself. What does that mean? So, you know, for a new officer, I've got a lot of energy. I think I'm for the ones that have coached, I've kind of more shown them of the things that I do. And a lot of it is learned through your program. It has nothing to do with policing. It's actually how I do things to take care of myself, to pace myself, to get through a day and what I do to prepare myself for the everyday policing world, you know, to make sure I'm eating and drinking and taking the time to manage my own stress every single day, but also what I do on my days off, what things are important to me, how I treat and how I talk to my family. You know, when they see me, if I make a phone call, if I talk to you guys, you know, if I have a break to just say hi, it's everything that I do. I'm not a model, but everything that somebody new sees is what they can absorb. 
as well. So for me, I would certainly probably demonstrate and get them to have an awareness to what they're doing for their physical selves to take care of them, you know, from the point that they're new, because those things are going to the habits that they build as a new officer or a new person, an one responder is going to pave the way or last them for their career. Somebody who's seasoned officer or seasoned responder, I would say it's never really too late to start to do the same things is to build and develop the habits that can take care of your physical self and your stress system. Because the people who are in that 15, 20, 25, 30 year service time level, a lot of them are basically just counting down to the number of years that they've got left. And what would be the point of doing the countdown if you're not taking care of your physical self that when you get to your goal of retirement, that you don't have any energy or motivation to live that kind of second life, so to speak, after you retire. So it's so important to, at every stage, to do something better than you did before to take care of yourself physically because nobody's going to do it for you. It is a work in progress and it always will be, but it is to be, do a little bit more better than you were before. And certainly whether you're new or whether you're a seasoned veteran is to do something that takes care of yourself and your physical self, because you don't want to be just at that point where you're, all you're doing is just counting down to retirement to a point where once you get there, you don't have much to give yourself. So when you're saying physical, what do you mean? Is to make sure that you get your proper rest, sleep, hydration, or know your physical signs of stress, recognize them to know when to be able to push yourself and when not to. Yeah. Which kind of segues into, and I'm not, I didn't even think I would do this in this episode, but that segues into that free training I created. Because that free training I created actually teaches you how to really know where your stress levels are at, where your sleep is at, where all of your numbers are at. And then you can start figuring out in that training too, with your shifts, you don't know what's going to happen on shift. So you don't know if you're going to tax yourself tons or it's going to be a slower day. You never know. So it teaches you how to know what your body needs each and every day. So you're that there's a fine line between overtraining, but you need to also make sure that your body is strong. So that training that I did create, which I'm going to plug it right now, (laughs) is if you go to the 911shiftready.com website, you will find it. It is the coach yourself to stay strong, to stay 911 shift strong, something like that. It's health trackers, coach yourself to stay 911 shift strong. That will be on our 911 Shift Ready website. That is there. And then September 11th, when this is going out, we are likely just selling or just finishing up, either just about to sell or we're only opening up for a couple of days where we're only going to be offering 10 spots into our beta testing. I've had this program running since 2018. The one that you went through was the older edition. 
I am upgrading it a lot that's happened with COVID. So I'm upgrading it with a lot of new research has been coming out on burnout, on stress systems. I've incorporating that. I've incorporated a lot of things that we've had new tools we've had to pull in with COVID, with a lot of the stressors that have happened in the last three years for all of you. So we have updated, upgraded the program and I'm working really hard on getting all of these lessons recorded and getting them into a membership site for you. So when this is going live, we probably be around where we're going to actually only sell 10 seats, very discounted rate for 10 seats to the beta. The beta will be 10 people coming in to make sure that because it's all videos and everything, everybody needs to go through it from the outside, make sure that everything's running smoothly. It's not our first rodeo, but just to make sure all the tech is working and to see how the lessons are working out for you guys. And we're going to sell it for a very discounted price just to 10 people to help us test this version out. And that should be going live around when this goes live. So check that out as well. You can find that out. If you go to our 911 Shift Ready website, there should be a work with us page and information will be on there. I'll either have a wait list for getting into the program if we haven't opened it up yet, or the information will be there if we are currently selling it. So go and check and see that 911shiftready.com and check our work with us page for that. All right. Any closing, anything on closing that you would like to say to anybody? Anyone in here, anything for first responders? No, I mean, other than, you know, thank you guys for doing what you guys do. Other than that, been, this has been fun. Yeah, you were nervous. You're usually <laughs> not usually the one in front of like the camera doing all this stuff. So it's cool. So thank you very, very much for helping everybody see a little bit into our life. So you guys can get to know us. All right. That is it for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Definitely give us a like, subscribe to us so that this podcast can go out to more people. Awesome. Be safe, everyone. I hope you have found value in today's episode. Don't forget to like and share this episode so it's shown to more first responders and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Go to our website, 911shiftready.com. If you would like to work with us, learn more about our 911 lifestyle program, gain access to our free training, join our mailing list, or find our social media channels. That's 911shiftready.com.